So this week we're going to continue our, our series. We've been in a series for the past couple of weeks that we've called By Faith. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're making our way through this chapter. And I really like this chapter because if you don't know much about the Bible and you want a pretty good synopsis of things that have happened in the Old Testament, you can go read Hebrews chapter 11 and you'll have a pretty good idea of what has happened in the Old Testament. The writer, the author, actually tells us a lot about many of our patriarchs of our, of our faith, many pillars of faith, and then also introduces a few people that are not so well known. We're going to look at a few of those today, some that are not as well known, and then consider them with some of the ones that are the huge uh, pillars of our faith. If we remember in the first week, when the writer of, this, of Hebrews introduces faith, talking about it in this way, says that faith, Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And he goes on, the writer, to explain how faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Basically, faith is the proof of God's promises. And we see that as we look at and we consider Abel. Remember, Abel gave a sacrifice and was deemed righteous by God when God accepted it. We looked at Enoch, who walked with God and one day was taken up from the earth. Then we also considered Noah, who, when God came and warned about a flood that was coming, he built the boat by faith and saved him and his entire family. All of them were commended as righteous by their faith. And then last week, we talked about how faith leaves a legacy of faith. That faith always leaves behind a legacy of faith. And we saw that through Abraham, the father of our faith, we commonly call the man who God called up from his homeland to go out to a land that he would show him. Abraham didn't know where he was going. God said, I'm calling you away from your home to a land that I will show you. And by faith, Abraham left everything behind. And we also saw how by faith, his wife, Sarah, was given the power to conceive in her old age, at 90 years old. That alone is a miracle right there. We go back and we looked again at Abraham. We looked at his son Isaac. Remember the promised son who God ha had him sacrifice. And Abraham reasoned, he said, that God could still fulfill his promise through Isaac. Even if the boy is dead, God could raise him back to life. So by faith, he pleased God. Though God interceded and Isaac remained alive. And then Isaac spoke blessing over his sons. And then we looked at Jacob who also blessed his grandsons, Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So we have this great legacy of faith that we're looking at. All of these characters and pillars of our faith. But today we're going to consider a few more as we continue on. I also like how this section goes in chronological order. So again, you're reading a summary of the Old Testament here. Today we're going to look at Moses, but before we get to Moses, we're going to read about Moses' parents. Now, how many of you could tell me the names of Moses' parents? That's what I thought. Nobody in here. You can't do it because it can't be done. We're going to look at Moses. We're going to look at the nation of Israel. And then finally, again, we considered Moses' parents, who we don't even really know who they are. Moses, the entire nation. And then we're going to talk about a prostitute named Rahab included in this great hall of faith. We notice again as we are going to continue to read the words by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. 
the writer is driving this home by faith. It's how these people were commended as righteous by God. Last week, our last verse that we read, Joseph made mention of the Exodus, that God would deliver Israel out of Egypt. Just kind of recapping for everybody so we know the story. Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery. They betrayed him. They were jealous of him. They hated him. They sold him into slavery. He ends up rising up in power to becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And then there's a time of famine, and his brothers come from their land seeking some grain. And Joseph ends up allowing them to come, and then eventually he says, just come and bring the whole family, and I'll I'll provide for you. So God takes care of everyone. But at the end of his life, Joseph reminded his family, this where we're at is not the promised land. God is going to come one day and deliver us out of this. This is generations before this would ever happen, but Joseph was still looking for the promise that God had given Abraham, which is where we're going to pick up today when we begin talking about Moses in that generation. We're going to see today that the people feared God over a king, that they were more concerned with God's plan for them than what the nation was telling them at the time. And by following God, he, took, he brought them out of Egypt so they could bring others in to blessing. Let's read in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 23 and go through 31. So Hebrews 11, 23, verse 31. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, And sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, as we read that, we, a lot happens in those few verses, correct? A lot. We, we go from Moses and, and not choosing to be identified as one of Pharaoh's people, leaving, taking the whole nation with him. They go out, they go into the promised land, crossing the, the, crossing the Red Sea, coming to Jericho. There's a whole lot of things that happen. This is a very brief overview of many major events in the Old Testament. So if you feel a little lost and you don't know all the details of the stories, that's okay. I'm going to try to cover them as we go. Again, this is just giving us an overview of these people's faith. That's the main thing we're focusing on here today. So before we get to Moses, we're told about the faith of his parents in verse 23. If we recall, Joseph had brought his brothers in with their families 
into the land of Egypt, where Joseph was very powerful. And the Hebrews began to multiply and multiply and multiply. And then over the years, a Pharaoh comes up who doesn't know Joseph, doesn't remember, but he sees the Hebrew people as a threat to his own rule. This is back in Egypt. He's the Pharaoh. There's these people who live there that become a threat to him. So he decides, I'm going to enslave them. And then to further keep them from harming him, he, he has an edict sent out that all the young Hebrew boys are to be killed when they're born. All the young Hebrew boys were to be killed. And what happens? A young boy who's going to be named Moses is born. And his parents, when this baby is born, they actually protect him from being killed. Now, this could have cost them their own life. The king, Pharaoh, said, all the Hebrew boys got to die. But his parents, rather than fearing the edict of a king, knew that it was right to protect an innocent life. They saw their son, and they knew there was something different about him, something special about him. So they hid him. They hid him for three months till he couldn't be hid any longer. And then his mother actually places him in a basket in, in the Nile and sends him down away, and he becomes adopted. This becomes Moses. But as we consider this, their, their faith, Moses' parents aren't any, seen as any great pillars of our faith. They weren't leaders of anything. We don't know anything about them, but if Moses' parents hadn't have made their decision by faith, we wouldn't have Moses, right? If Moses' parents had decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and give in to the king's orders. The king has told us to do this. We're under threat of our own life, so we better listen up because we don't want to die. They could have gone with what the society and the culture was telling them to do, but instead they decided to protect this innocent life. They saw this baby and they knew that God had a plan. And this makes me think of of all of us who are parents, who have been parents. None of us knows who our children are going to grow up to be, especially us with young kids. You can't say with any certainty who your child will or will not grow up to be. You don't know if right now in your home, under your charge, in your family, is the next great leader of this nation. You don't know if the person, the little person in your house, and I call them little people. Sometimes we as parents forget they're people too. That this little person could grow up to be the one person that changes the course of an entire nation. And if you think that's far-fetched, we see it over and over again in the scriptures. That child that you're raising, that grandchild that you're influencing, that great-grandchild that you're influencing could be someone that God raises up to change the course of our nation. So it's our duty as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and family members to pour into those children. Not to listen to the ways of this world and let the world tell us how to raise these children, but to listen to what God tells us is what's right and wrong for these children. And because of the faith that Moses' parents had, they protected him, kept him safe, and then entrusted him. He was eventually adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. There's some His mother decided to put him in in a little basket and send him down the Nile. I think she probably knew what she was doing because it's Pharaoh's daughter who finds this baby and adopts him. And Moses is actually raised in the palace. Moses is raised up as an Egyptian prince. 
He's taught everything. He enjoys all the finest foods, all the education in the world, all the, everything this world has to offer, Moses would have at his fingertips. But if his parents had decided to go along with what the world had told them to do, we never would have had Moses. We never would have had the lineage that led all the way to Jesus. It would have stopped and ended right there. Parents, grandparents, you have no idea the effect that you can have on one child and how that can change an entire nation. God raises up this, this man, Moses. His parents hid him during a time of genocide. He's raised up as an Egyptian prince, like I said, given everything in the world. He's given everything, but for some reason, Moses decides when he's older, we don't actually know why. The scriptures don't specifically tell us. Moses must have known he was different because the, the Hebrews weren't exactly Egyptians. They weren't intermarried at this point with them, and Moses must have known something. But if you think about it this way, how many of us, what if we had all the world at our fingertips, everything the world had to offer? I'm talking every pleasure, every bit of gold, every bit of anything we wanted. We can go and do as we please. How many of us would turn away from the world and choose rather to be one of God's children than to enjoy all the riches, luxury, sins, and pleasures of this world? But that's exactly what Moses did. And this happened before God ever called Moses. Before God appeared to him in a burning bush. That wouldn't happen until some 40 years later. Moses decides to identify with God's people because he knows and believes that God has made promises to his ancestors. Somehow this truth has been passed down from generation to generation. That's what we talked about last week, how faith leaves a legacy of faith. It hands that faith down to the next generation and the next generation. That's, that's one of our jobs as parents and grandparents. Our job is to follow God ourselves, yes, but it's to pass it down to the next generation so they too can be faithful and follow him as well. Moses decides to leave all that behind. And in fact, he ends up becoming a murderer. If any of you consider your, your own sin... Not many people in here would be able to raise their hand and say they murdered a man in cold blood because they saw him beating a slave. Then Moses decides to hide the man when he realizes that he's rejected by both Pharaoh and the Hebrews for this murder. He then runs off into the wilderness. Things aren't really looking so good for God's hero, are they? He murdered a man. Then he's rejected by his own people. He runs off into the wilderness. How in the world could God use such a man? There's no way. God, surely God would be done with somebody like this, right? But no, this is exactly who God had, had purposed. He had chosen Moses. You're going to be the one to lead my people out of captivity. And years later, he appears to Moses and he tells Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh. And Moses tries to get out of it every which way. He, he tries to not go and, and be sent but yet there's something in him that does go. There's something in him that refuses Pharaoh. There's something in him that doesn't fear Pharaoh, but instead follows God and trusts God. He didn't fear Pharaoh, but instead he looked forward to God's promises. 
He considered Christ to be more valuable and to be more awesome and more fearful than any Pharaoh. Now, how could he consider Christ when Moses technically didn't know who Christ was? Not in the way we would think about it, but God revealed himself directly to Moses and Moses believed God. So he chose to to lead the people out. He chose to be faithful. And we see that this one man's faith, following him, he trusted in God's calling, God's plan, and God's provision. Moses goes back to Egypt, tells the Pharaoh, the famous words that we would all say, let my people go. Pharaoh says, nope. So God sends plague upon plague to Egypt, plague and plague and plague, and Pharaoh hardens himself again and again and again until finally God sends a final plague where God's going to send a destroyer to strike down the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt. But he's going to provide a provision for the Jews. God has a calling for them, a plan, and he makes a provision. He tells Moses, he says to Tell the people to slaughter the lamb, to have this meal, take the blood, spread it on the doorposts, and everyone inside the home that the blood of the lamb is on will not die. Let's be honest for a minute. That probably sounded really strange to Moses at the time. If if we showed up and said, hey, tonight there's going to be a final plague come through America. What you got to do is you got to go home you got to take a lamb, you got to kill it, spread the blood on your doorpost, you got to eat the lamb, do this, this, and this, and when, and when the curse comes through the land tonight at midnight, you and your family will be spared. It might have sounded really strange, but by faith, Moses believed that this would happen. And the people, the Jews believed that this would happen too, because they all went in with it. And I, I think about this. How many times do we read in the scriptures where God has provided something, God has given us something, he's told us something, he's promised us something, but yet it just seems so radical, so far out from left field to us that we think that can't be how this works. That can't, I don't, God, that just sounds too simple. God, you're telling me all I have to do is repent of my sin and believe in your son and I am eternally and forever 100% saved? Yes. That's the provision that God has made for us. But something in our human nature doesn't like the sound of that. We think that sounds too simple or there's got to be something else or any of the other blessings that God has shared with us in Scripture. But by faith, Moses accepted all the promises provisions that God had given him. And so he leads this nation. If we know how the story goes in Exodus, after this 10th plague, Pharaoh finally relents and lets them go. They take and they start leaving and they actually leave very wealthy, the Jews do, because the Egyptians give them all this stuff. Basically, get out of here, please. But then as they're leaving, Pharaoh gets mad. And decides he's going to hunt the Jews down, track them down, and slaughter them now that they've left. They come to the Red Sea. There's no way to cross. Pharaoh is on their heels with a bunch of chariots. And it seems like all is lost for the Jews. But then God provides yet another way for them. 
and he parts the sea. And the Jews all get to walk across it as if they were walking on dry land. I want to think about that for, for a moment. We come to a sea, and then God splits it. And then you were to walk across it as if you were just walking across any other way. The entire nation of Israel going through this Red Sea, being delivered. What's interesting also about this is once they make it out, Pharaoh and his men decide we're going to hunt them down and go after them. But whenever the Egyptians try to go down into there, what happens? God closes it back up and the very way that provided safe passage for the Jews becomes a curse and death for the Egyptians. The very thing, the same means. The, the Egyptians went the same route. They, they tried to go straight down the middle, right where the Jews went. Why was it that when the Jews went through, they were saved and delivered, but when the Egyptians tried to go through, they were destroyed? Because the Jews walked through by faith. They believed that God was providing a way out for them, that God was providing a means for their salvation and their delivery, and they made it through. But the Egyptians just wanted to kill and destroy. And that same means that God used to save one people was a judgment against the unfaithful, the Egyptians. So the Hebrews make it through the sea. And then years later, Moses dies. Their leader, Moses, was their, their great leader. They've been wandering in the wilderness. And this is where we come to the passage talking about Jericho. They come to this stronghold city of Jericho. They have a new leader named Joshua, who's younger than Moses, but still older by our considerations. Joshua is their new leader, and God tells them, you're going to go take this land. I'm giving your enemies into your hand. Go and take this. They cross over the Jordan. They come to this city called Jericho. It's a stronghold city. Now you have a, a group of people that have been wandering in the wilderness for years and years and years. They're not an army. They're not professional soldiers. They don't have the resources that a city like Jericho would have. How in the world could this possibly end up in victory for Israel? Somehow, God's going to give them some kind of great battle plan and tactics like the world has never seen. And he does. He tells them to encircle the city for seven days. Now again, if I'm a, a Hebrew at this time, and Joshua comes and tells the battle plan and says, All right, we're going to encircle them for, se for seven days. We're going to walk around the city. Once a day. For seven days. And on the seventh day, we're going to blast trumpets. We're going to win. Um, Joshua, that's not how war works. What's interesting about it, though, is that's exactly how God gave them victory. God told them, you're going to do it my way. I don't, it doesn't need to make sense to you. I'm the God of the universe. And when I say those walls are coming down, they're going to fall at my word. And that's exactly what happened. And when I read that story, I can't help but think about things in our, our own life. We think about strongholds and, and sin, Satan. When you think about enemies and challenges, there's so many things in your life that you face that you cannot overcome by brute force. It just won't happen. 
There's things that you lack the power to overcome by yourself just by gutting it out and trying hard. So how do we have victory over such things? We can take a note from from their page and what we can do is we can encircle these strongholds in our lives with prayer and worship and declaration of victory in Jesus' name and have faith that God is going to be the one to provide victory in the things that we can't overcome, which is actually a lot of things in our life. In fact, if you have victory over anything in your life, it's not because of you. It's God who gives the victory to you. It's God who's victorious through you. And it's him who deserves all the glory for those victories. And then the writer ends this little section talking about Jericho. Kind of jumps, feels like something off of uh, left, coming out of left field here. Talking about Jericho, and all of a sudden, we're told about a prostitute named Rahab. Won't go into any details for the children, but prostitute's not a good thing. Why is this woman named with the great pillars of our faith? We've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We've got Moses. What's this woman of the world doing in this list? what some of us when you read about it if you know the history this woman she's she's obviously she was living in the city of jericho she was a prostitute so she's a gentile she's an outsider she's unclean she's unfit in every single way to be a person used by god by our standards right you if you knew a woman like this you would not look at her and say god's going to use her but i think that's exactly why god used her This woman who lived in Jericho, whenever the spies came to spy out the land, she welcomed them. She had been hearing about Israel, about how God had been giving them victory after victory and all the things he had done for them, and she welcomes the spies. And then whenever the city is destroyed, Rahab is actually delivered and she's safe because she believed in what God was doing through his people. She didn't know any of the details. She didn't know theology. She was probably pagan at best, if not complete atheistic. But yet, whenever she heard about what God was doing, she believed that God was with these people. She had faith in what God was doing. She didn't understand it. She didn't know what to do, but she did what she could to help them out. What's interesting about this is God takes this woman, this outsider, this unclean, unfit, unsuitable to be included. We wouldn't welcome a woman like that in our church, would we? That's a question for you. You can think about that later. He takes that woman and then he includes her. I want to give you a little bit of history. The neat thing about the Bible, the Bible has a lot of family history in it. You know, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. How many of you like to skip those sections when you come into the Old Testament? We don't like to read all those names. I skip them all the time. Come on, let's be, let's be real. We skip them. The names are hard to pronounce. Why do we need all that? Well, here's a neat one right here. Rahab marries a man named Salmon. You could pronounce salmon depending on, you know, if you're from East Texas, that's how I say it when I read it. And from their line comes a man by the name of Boaz. Okay. For those of you who know your Bible history, you know where I'm starting to head with this. 
Boaz then marries a woman who's also not a Jew. Her name is Ruth, the Moabite. Ruth's got her own book in the Bible. You should go read it if, you don't, if you're not familiar with it. So then you have Ruth. Ruth gets married to Boaz, who brought this outsider in. Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has seven sons. Can you guess the name of Jesse's youngest son? David. And if you know the rest of the story, you know from David's line comes our king of kings, Jesus the Christ. So you're telling me that God can take a woman who's an outsider, not part of his people, who's unclean, unfit, and unwelcome. But by faith, this woman was included in the greatest lineage in human history. From her womb and line would come kings and kings and the king of kings. Not because this woman did all the right things or said all the right things or knew all the right facts or dressed the right way or had all the right things or fit into all the right clubs and places. No, but by faith. God brought this woman into his family line. So when I say you have no idea who your child is going to become, I can also tell you grandparents and great-grandparents, you have no idea who your adult child is going to become. This woman, Rahab, was not a young girl when this happened to her. She was a grown woman who had made a lifetime of mistakes to get to that point. So until God is done with someone on this earth, don't you ever think for a moment that God can't take that person and use them to change an entire nation and if not the entire world. Because that's what he did with this woman named Rahab. Who by our estimation would be not worth any of our time. Probably not welcome at our dinner tables. God said, you know what, I'm going to not just welcome to the dinner table, I'm going to put her in my family. You see, your faith is meant to go out to bring others in. That's what we see with the Jews. Their faith leads them out of Egypt. And when they got out of Egypt, that's where Rahab came in. Because if all these things wouldn't have lined up, we wouldn't have had Jesus born when he was born to who he was born to. Your faith does not stop with you. Your faith is meant to go out to bring others in. And not just the others that we want in. I'm talking the others that we don't think we want in. The others who are outsiders, who are unclean, unwelcome, unworthy, and we, we don't feel comfortable around them. Yes, those are the ones who are welcomed into the faith. Again, one boy, his parents made a decision, grew up to become a deliverer for an entire nation again she said but that's the moses yeah moses the murderer moses the runner and the hider god used him to save a nation same thing with rahab unclean unfit don't ever tell me that you're too dirty too foul too messed up or too far gone for god to use you God can save you and use you to change the history of the world.
for your good and his glory. Let's pray.